0: like to open our Bibles back to the uh, Philippian letter as we have been looking at some of the lessons that we find there from the pen of the Apostle Paul. As we recall, Paul's ministry in Philippi was directly related to the providential power of God leading him to that very place. In Acts chapter 16, we find the background to that that establishing of the first church in uh, Europe, actually, not just among the Greeks, but in the European continent. It's a very notable uh, place and one that had a special place in the heart of the Apostle Paul. It's a love letter. We see the pastor heart of Paul coming out in this epistle. And as you recall, in the first chapter, we started out by noting that there are three parts to this chapter. The first part is found in verse 5, the fellowship of the gospel. The second uh, division that we noted is in verse 12, the furtherance of the gospel. And this morning, we want to borrow an expression from verse 27, the faith of the gospel, As you recall in our time together, we noted that the fellowship of the gospel is a koinonia. It is a partaker, partnership, um, a coinciding walk of fellow believers one with another. The Apostle Paul was so thankful that God had in this area, this Philippian city, a people that he called by his grace and uh, equipped by his spirit to reflect the image of Christ to the culture. There was fellowship as sons and daughters of God. Secondly, the furtherance of the gospel that was not hindered by the imprisonment of Paul or the death of his servants, but the furtherance of the gospel, as we noted last time, is uh, in connection with God's providence because God providentially opens and shuts doors uh, for the progress of his kingdom, for the furtherance of his message uh, so that all the elect and all the nations of the earth would be called effectually and uh, fitted for their service to Him. So, firstly, we see the sonship issue being brought out. Secondly, the servanthood issue brought out. And this morning, we want to focus on the soldier issue of Christianity—that God has called us to be soldiers. We need to be mindful of what Paul is uh, saying in an in an overview. He's he's sharing with us that that we never actually stand alone. We never actually stand alone. We uh, never strive alone. God has people in every generation that uh, reflect His glory and embrace His truth. The church of Jesus Christ is not dependent on Paul. The church of Jesus Christ is not dependent on Brother Jeff. The church of Jesus Christ is going to be in the earth when Jesus comes for his bride at the end of the age. Isn't it encouraging to know that God is not dependent upon us to preserve his church? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not what? Prevail Prevail against it. It's not going to prevail against the sons of God. It's not going to prevail against the servants of God. And it's not going to prevail against the soldiers of God. The third part of our message from this chapter is found in verses 27 through verse 30. Paul writes, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that of God. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. The Apostle Paul reminded us what true joy really is. True joy is not, not uh, something dependent upon circumstance. True joy is, remember, putting Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. The Apostle Paul is demonstrating that attitude uh, in every way as he writes this uh, epistle to this special, special church. He's calling them to uh, strive to maintain the faith of the gospel. And how is that going to be done? How is the faith of the gospel going to be preserved in every generation? Well, we notice in verse 27, only let your conversation or your conduct, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Here's our first point this morning. Um, it's important that the way we live our life is consistent with what we claim to be, what we claim to believe, what we claim to teach, what we claim to preach. I find it interesting that the Apostle Paul is is calling uh, the church as citizens of heaven, as citizens of another realm, a higher realm than is found in this world. If you have your Bibles with uh, with you this morning, turn quickly over to the book of Second Peter chapter 3. We're going to notice how Peter is reflecting some of these same principles that Paul is weaving into this special, special letter. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter is writing about the end of time. He's writing about the coming day of judgment. And he says in verse 11 Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Talking about earthly things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy, notice, conversation. Conversation and godliness. See, the conversation he's talking about is the conduct, is the lifestyle and the life choices that God's people make. In this same chapter, notice verse 14. He says, "Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, that's that's the coming of Christ, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless." It's a call to a worthy walk. It's a call to a different kind of lifestyle. He's referring to the conduct that is consistent with the Christian profession. Before we leave this chapter, I want you to underline something. I want you to notice something, how the Apostle Peter is writing in the same love language as Paul. Notice he uses the word beloved five times in this chapter. He says, Beloved, in verse uh, 1, and then verse 2, be mindful. Beloved, be mindful. Then you drop down uh, to uh, verse 8, Beloved, be not ignorant. Don't don't claim that ignorance is bliss because ignorance is dangerous. Beloved, be mindful. Beloved, be not ignorant. Then he says in verse 12, Beloved, uh, be obedient to the word of God. See, that's what it takes to be a Christian, to be obedient to the word of God. And then this verse in 14 is a call to diligence. Beloved... Be diligent. I love that. And then he says in verse uh, 15, uh, Beloved, I want you to believe. I want you to uh, uh, account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And as our beloved brother Paul also according to wisdom given him hath written unto you. One of the things that the Apostle Paul wrote was the letter to the Philippians. Not only did he write the book of Hebrews, he wrote the letter to the Philippians, and then he says, "Beloved um, beware in verse five here here uh, verse eighteen he I, I want you to see this because this is so timely this this is so timely for us uh, to consider what Paul is encouraging the church to do and what Peter is encouraging the church to be church he says. In verse 17, beloved, again, he's speaking to the church, seeing that you know these things before, beware, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So here's a sobering call, isn't it? A sobering call to Christian conduct. And that's exactly what Paul is underscoring in the Philippian letter. Only let your conversation be as it becometh or adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ. We could go to the fourth chapter of Ephesians verse 1 and Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 to, to, to reinforce those principles. When he's talking about conversation, he's not just talking about speech. He's talking about lifestyle. He's talking about our conduct as followers of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that Paul is considering when he's talking about preserving the faith of the gospel, he's relating it to our conduct, our choices in this life. The second point I want to make is that it's a call to Christian unity around the principles of the faith that is revealed by God through the scriptures. Notice he says, uh, as it becometh the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that whether I come and see you or be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Remember in our study of the book of Acts together, we we emphasize the word homo which which means to be of one accord to be uh walking in one direction a call to Christian unity you know why that's so important that's so important because the devil is about dividing the devil is all of it's easy to for churches to divide it's easy for marriages to divide it's easy for neighbors to divide we can divide over just a myriad of things that we think are important. We can uh, be led by the devil to divide in such a way as it brings shame or reproach upon the name of Christ. Jesus, his constant prayer for the disciples was that they be one in Acts chapter 17. I want them to get along. I, I want them to be at peace one with another that they may be one even as we are one. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 verse 3 said we should endeavor to maintain, to keep, uh, to nurture the unity of the church, the unifying factors, the things that bring us together and hold us together. You see, Paul is calling us to unity And, and as a unified uh, uh, a people were able to withstand the attacks of the world, the flesh, and, of course, the devil. It's important. Jesus said uh, a house divided against itself cannot what? Stand. A nation divided its, against itself cannot stand. Um, uh, uh, a people uh, uh, divided against itself cannot long endure. That's why uh, in our generation we see things like CRT, you know, this critical race theory stuff. And have you noticed it, all it's doing is dividing and dividing and dividing? And I believe that it's the tactic of Satan to, to destroy our nation because it has the ability to do that. It has the ability to uh, destroy the very nation in which we live. And a lot of people don't realize it, but that's what it's doing. The Apostle Paul says, don't let that spirit come into the church. Because it will affect your uh, longevity. It will affect your ability to impact the culture with the faith of the gospel. So there's a clarion call here to unity. But unity around what? Unity around the faith of the gospel. Now, the word faith, pisteos, in the Greek language, has two significant meanings in the New Testament. It can either mean believing, trusting, coming, uh, uh, looking to, or it can be the thing believed. It can either be subjective or objective. The act of believing is subjective. But when we say faith or the faith, the definite article faith, we're talking about that which is believed. I believe that that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says the faith of the gospel. He's talking about the body of revealed truth In the Word of God, he's talking about what Jude referred to in verse 3 of his epistle when he said that we should earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Notice the definite article there's only one. There's only one truth. There's only one way to the Father. There's only one accurate definition of a Christian. You see, this is what I I believe Paul's uh, getting at. And I want to emphasize that. Go back with me to Acts chapter 14, verse 22, very quickly. Notice how this is encouraged not only by Paul, but by his companions. Listen to what uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas preached um, back up to verse 21 in Acts chapter 14. And when they had preached the gospel, the good news, there's only one. There's only one true gospel. Uh, And when they had preached that gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And what were they doing? They were confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, to continue in the doctrine, to continue in the principles of sovereign grace to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom this continuance uh this word continue in the greek language is hypomene which we get persevere, to be steadfast to be uh, uh to hold on uh to something that is precious to hold on for dear life, uh, to hang on, to hold on, to persevere, to continue in the faith. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 31, Then shall you be my disciples if you continue in the truth, for the truth shall make you free. See, this is, this is what I believe is so important for us to understand today. Uh, today in this monogistic and cinderistic uh, society. We're, we're in a society where it says, uh, as long as you uh, uh, claim that Jesus is the best way to heaven, then that means you're a Christian. If, if you believe that he's the only way to heaven, that means you're not a Christian, you're, you're nothing but a bigot or a Pharisee. But I want to stand upon Bible ground with you this morning and tell you that there is only one way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, uh, the, way the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except by me. How, how more simple can you get? Is, is that hard to understand? Is that really a, a complex issue? No, the Bible says there's only one way uh, to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. You see, this is the point I'm trying to make with you this morning. It does matter what you believe the truth to be. And the truth must be contingent or founded upon the revealed word of God. The scripture itself must testify to us what that truth is. Jesus said that his sheep would come unto him. And he that cometh unto me, he says, I will in no wise cast out. He won't cast out those that come in faith to him. The question is, have you done that this morning? Have you come to him as the only source of salvation, as the only hope of a bankrupt sinner? That's the issue. That's the question. And brothers and sisters, that's the gospel. The faith of the gospel, needs to be defended. It needs to be contended for. And the Apostle Paul says, I want you to be unified in that effort. I asked the, for the song to be sung uh, this morning, uh, Faith of Our Fathers. I believe that's why, brothers and sisters, it's important for us to be able to stand on the same foundation our forebears did 200 years ago. We're not so smart and intellectually or academically advanced that we know more about the Bible today than they did 200 years ago. Uh, To me, that's a vain and a foolish attitude. We don't have more light than our forefathers had. If you ever hear me get into this sacred desk and preach to you something that's totally new and unheard of, among our churches, uh, through the years, you better sit in council with me, because I've I've already erred. I believe that the 1689 London Confession of Faith is the best def- defense of um, what we have stood for for hundreds of years, and I want to stand in that same place. I'm not uh, I'm not more spiritual or more knowledgeable than those men were that wrote that document. And yet I can say this in all sincerity. I do not elevate the London Confession of Faith to the same priority as the Scripture of God. I'm just saying that that's a a stated expression of faith that is uh, in accordance with or in agreement with what I understand the Word of God to teach. If you've come to the house of God this morning to hear a woke gospel, you've come to the wrong place. The Apostle Paul said, I I want you to be unified in this work of holding on to and standing and defending the true gospel, the true word of God himself. Turn quickly with me to Romans chapter 1. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says is so vital. Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. I want you to notice, he didn't say separated unto my gospel. Did you notice that? Uh, Separated unto Peter's gospel. Did you notice that? He said, this is the gospel of God. God is the one that gave the truth. God is the one that inspired the scriptures. And based upon the integrity of the word of God, the scripture, the inscripturated word of God, you know the truth. And the truth will make you free. The apostle Paul said, I'm separated not to my own gospel, but to the gospel of God, which he hath promised, a, listen, listen, which he hath promised afore. afore by his prophets, in the what? Everything that the Apostle Paul is preaching and teaching and sharing with the Philippian church is based on the Holy Scripture. It's based on the Word of God. That's what we want. That's what our hearts long for. I believe that the churches of Galatia got in trouble. If you study that letter, and especially the first chapter, Uh, You know, the Apostle Paul says, I'm amazed, I'm shocked that you're so soon removed from the true gospel. But the Apostle Paul said, let me tell you something, friends. Even if an angel came down and preached another gospel to you, uh, which is not a gospel, let him be accursed. Even an angel... It's a very serious thing. When we talk about the faith, we're talking about a call to unifying around the principles that are scripturally endorsed and founded upon the Word of God, not man's uh, ideology or, or uh, philosophy. So we are called to this conduct that's worthy of the gospel. We're called to unity around the faith and the third point I want to make this morning is that there's corresponding fruit that relates to the gospel somebody says well brother Jeff I believe that a man can believe in Jesus and and live a life of sin and degradation and just go on his way unchanged unchallenged did you know that's heresy did you know that that's contrary to the gospel I'm telling you, when Christ comes to live in the heart of an individual, that person is changed. I, did, I didn't say he didn't make mistakes. I didn't say that he wasn't still a sinner, but I said he's different. He, he, he's changed in several areas. The Apostle Paul put it this way, the things that I once hated, I didn't like, are the things that I longed to do and long to embrace. The things that I once loved and enjoyed I discounted and didn't walk that way anymore. That's that's Romans 7 uh, experience. There's a change. There's corresponding fruit in the lives of believers. The Holy Spirit is producing fruit in the lives of those that have been born of the Spirit. That fruit is is identified, isn't it, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. That fruit of joy, that fruit of love, that Fruit of patience and goodness, the things that weren't there before. Now we find growing in the garden of God, in the soil of the heart, that God has changed by his free mercy and grace. There's corresponding fruit. But did you know that there's not only fruit born by the believer? there's also fruit borne by the unbeliever. Listen to how Paul words this. In Philippians chapter 1, notice how he words this. He says, I want you to be one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified of your adversaries, which is to them the unbeliever, the um, impenitent, the unregenerate, an evident token of, of perdition. They're showing uh, an evidence. They're giving an evidence. They're manifesting these adversaries of the truth, these adversaries of the gospel, these adversaries of God. They're manifesting who they are by their response to the gospel. Can I say that again? They're manifesting who they are and what they are by their, their response to the gospel. Let's prove that. Thank you for asking. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians. Let's prove this. You know, the Bible says to prove all things. Let's look at it. Let's look at it together. It's This is an important point. I'm telling you, there's so much confusion over this in our generation, and there shouldn't be, but in 2 Thessalonians, uh, let's, go, let's go first to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I started to go to 2 Thessalonians first, but I want to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Listen to this. Are you with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? Beginning with verse 4, he says, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Paul says, I know that you're the elect of God. I know that you're the chosen of God. I know that you're the called of God. I know that you're the born again of God. I know that. How, Paul? How do you know that? Verse 5. For, or because, our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. Are you with me? And in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us. And of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. He says, your response to the gospel is what gave evidence that you were the children of God. That you were born again by the Spirit of God. Now watch this. Go to Second 2 Thessalonians 2.13. thirteen. Second 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Remember, I'm talking about the corresponding fruit that is found in the life of a believer as well as an unbeliever. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, But ye, we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Somebody says the Bible doesn't teach personal election. The Bible doesn't teach... That God chooses anybody? Oh, what are you going to do with this? God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. How? Through sanctification of the Spirit and what? Belief Belief of the truth. I'm going to say something and I might get in trouble for it, but I'm telling you it's the gospel truth. I do not believe that a person can be a true Christian without believing the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. Now, I'm not talking about to the same degree. I'm not not talking about, uh, uh, you you know, if you don't believe in election and predestination, you can't be a Christian. I'm not talking about that. But I'm going to tell you if there's a question in your mind, whether Jesus Christ was really the Son of God or not, you're not a Christian. If there's a question in your mind, did Jesus really rise from the dead, uh, you cannot be a Christian. If if there if there's any doubt in your mind that Jesus Christ is personally going to return a second time, there's no way that you can claim to be a Christian. These are the core Teachings of the true gospel. It does make a difference what you believe. It makes a difference how we understand the scripture. The the Bible does unequivocally teach election and predestination. Here he says, uh, We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. For God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation and Belief of the truth, uh, verse 14, whereunto he called you, how? By our gospel. To the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, here's the truth. The truth is that God himself opens the heart of his people to receive The truth of his son, Jesus Christ, and enables him or her to follow him, to follow Christ. This is the corresponding fruit. Jesus said, a tree is known by its what? Its fruit. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear forth much fruit, John 15, 7. So is it important? Yeah, I believe it's important, but the Apostle Paul believes it is important. Go back to the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians. i, I got to show you this before we leave Thessalonians. I told you that uh, there's chorus the Corresponding fruit in the lives of both believers and unbelievers. Listen to what Paul says in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter one. He says, um, "For time's sake, we're going to go down to verse 3. He says, "We are bound to get thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all abound each other uh, toward each other abound." So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. He's encouraging them because they're being persecuted, right? Yes. But watch this, verse 5, which is a manifest token. Here's an evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That they may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Now, catch that. Here the church is being persecuted, and the Apostle Paul is writing this encouraging letter to them and saying, Don't worry about them, God is going to take care of them. Uh, there's a payday someday for them. He says in verse 6 Seeing it is a righteous thing that God shall recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, listen, Christian, to you who are troubled, rest with us. Rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven and his mighty angels, listen to this, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that what? Obey not. not. The gospel, somebody says it doesn't make any difference if you believe or not. Paul didn't agree with you. He said it does make a difference. It makes a difference what you believe. So he's he's saying that there's going to be evidence in the uh, individual's who are under the sound of the gospel. I, I love what Jonathan Edwards said about this. John uh, Jonathan Edwards said, um, he used as an illustration uh, in one of his messages that uh, he, he could take um, a ball of wax. Now listen, children, you, you know what wax is, right? Yeah. You can take a ball of wax and uh, mold it into a ball. And you can, take, uh, you can take a lump of clay and mold it into a ball the same size. You can even paint those two balls the same color. How do you know, his question was, how do you know which one's wax and which one's clay? All you have to do set it out in the sun because he said the wax will melt or become soft and the clay will harden and crack. Boy don't we know that in Mississippi. (laughs) See the, the sun shining upon those objects is what manifested the nature of each. I believe that's the way it is with the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not make or produce children of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ manifests who are the children of God, who are born again, who have receptivity to the truth of the gospel. See, that's the key this morning to understand why it's so significant. The Apostle Paul is, is, is calling the church to be unified around these principles and that there will be a corresponding fruit in the lives of his people that reflect a soft heart toward God, that, 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 that reflect the nature of Christ, the, the image of Christ in this watching world. And the fourth thing, and by the way, this is a shocker, the fourth thing that Paul is writing in this chapter He's talking about consecrated suffering. That's so countercultural today in this day of prosperity gospel teaching. You know, as long as you uh, follow Christ, you're never going to have any trouble. You know, cancer's never going to touch your life, uh, disease is never going to affect your family. All you got to be is uh, just a good Christian and. You'll, you'll be wealthy, and you'll be wise, and you'll be worldly accepted. There's a Greek word for that. It's hogwash. <laughs> Jesus never taught any such a thing. But rather, Jesus would say things like this. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12, we've been studying this with our grandchildren recently. Jesus says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's what's going to happen to you. For great is your reward in heaven. You see, Jesus said we would suffer, didn't he? In John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, be of good comfort, uh, be of good comfort, I have overcome the world. There's something shocking about this. Listen to what he says in verse 29. Are you with me? Philippians 1, 29. For unto you, and he's talking to the Christian church, right? Unto you it is given... In the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to what? Suffer for His sake. I call this consecrated suffering. The Greek verb that is translated here, given, which could be translated granted, is from the noun form of the word for grace. It is a gift. It is a gift to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Remember what the Apostle Peter and John said in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. They they counted it a, a blessing. They counted it a privilege. They, 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 they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. There's suffering as a Christian, but there's suffering that brings glory to the name of Christ. I want you to go with me to 1 Peter again very quickly. I'm, I'm going to bring my remarks to a close shortly, but I want you to see this. I want you to rejoice with me in this. In 1 uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he uh, Peter says, Beloved, uh, I like the way he uses the word beloved. Beloved. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice, re- look look here, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. See it? That when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Listen, listen. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory in God rest upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or an evildoer, or a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely or with great difficulty be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore let them that, listen; wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing, as unto a faithful You see, brothers and sisters, these are people that knew what it was to suffer for Christ. Paul's writing from prison. Historians tell us that he was actually beheaded uh, after his second imprisonment in Rome. The Apostle Peter, historians tell us that Peter was crucified upside down. Do you think they knew something about suffering? Do, they, do you think they knew something about the cost of being a real Christian in a devilish culture, in a countercultural, uh, philosophical, and political world that despises light and despises goodness and despises beauty in love with everything ugly, everything ungodly, everything shameful, What is the Apostle Paul doing in these points? What is he saying to us that that our conduct matters? Our conduct should line up with our gospel. That we've been called to unify around the principles of scriptural truth. That there should be corresponding fruit in the life of every one of us. That we have been dealt with by the grace of God. That we have the spirit of God in us. that, That we know what the Bible says is right and what the Bible says is wrong. And we are called and gifted to consecrated suffering. Believer's suffering is a gift of God's grace that brings power and eternal reward to the people of God. I believe that if we will embrace these things, if we if if we will, by God's grace, understand and apply these principles today, we'll be looked upon in the same way as the church at Philippi was in that day. And may it ever be that you and I would stand firmly for the faith of the true gospel. Thank you for your good attention. God bless you.